Morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> so, we're continuing our series this morning again, uh, Fruitfulness on the Frontline, and this is number two out of eight. Um, but uh, we're really, we're kind of really only getting into it this morning. Christoph laid the foundation last week, but this is the, or the rubber hits the road, I suppose. But uh, let me just talk a little bit about. Uh, what Christoph said last week. Um, most of you will know by now, I think that we use the word front lines to indicate any part of our life where we regularly meet people from outside of church life, right? People who, for the most part, are not Christians. And what we're doing there, by using that word in that way, is we're effectively dividing up all the people we meet in, in our lives into two groups. Firstly, the Christian community that we're a part of, Kirkpatrick. And then secondly, and this is the group that we're focusing on, those outside the church that we come into contact with. And of course, the thing is, I kind of wanted to say this, whenever you make these sweeping generalizations and start dividing up people and putting labels on them, it's never a neat thing, is it? And the world doesn't work like that. So, for instance, there's some overlap between the two groups. We meet some people from the church in our daily lives, right? And, and we meet Christians from other churches as well. And also, and I, I really want to put this one out here, there is a very important group that doesn't fit neatly into this division that we're making um, because there is a group that has one foot inside of the church and one foot on our front lines. And that group is our children. Not just our own children, but the kids of the people sitting alongside us every Sunday morning. Um, that is because, of course, as baptized people, we regard them um, by virtue of their baptism as being a part of the Christian community. And yet, we've also vowed, we make a vow, the whole congregation makes a vow at their baptism, to try and teach them about God so that someday they will become professing Christians. In other words, we do see them as being both members of the church community and people who've yet to become Christians. Right? Maybe that's a little off topic. I don't know. I, I felt the need to say it. But it's important to point out that every one of us here has made that vow that whenever, so whatever your front lines are, all of us have this front line of the children in our church as well. But, as I said, I just wanted to be clear about that. But for the most part, when we talk about front lines, we're talking about anywhere that you meet people who are not Christians on a regular basis. Anyway, that's the front line. What about fruitfulness? What is fruitfulness? Well, fruit, the best definition of fruit is any word, action, or thought that glorifies God. Any action, word, or thought that brings glory to God. And that, of course, brings up the question of what's glorifying God. And the glory of God and how we might glorify him is a concept that we find throughout the Bible. And essentially, God's glory is himself. It's kind of hard to explain. But if you were to say that what, what, what's the glory of Kirkpatrick, for instance, it would be anything that was really good about Kirkpatrick, and then to glorify Kirkpatrick we, would be to show off or to reveal this aspect of the church which is so good. However, the analogy doesn't fully work because everything about God is good. You might have to dig around a bit to find the glory of Kirkpatrick, but to see the glory of God, 
All you got to do is to see him. You see that? So then to glorify means to reveal or to show in some manner any of God's attributes, any of his characteristics. And you can glorify him directly, for, by example, saying, well, God is good, right? You're glorifying God right there. Or by doing something that most people would recognize as a religious act, so uh, praying uh, or coming to church on a Sunday, these things directly glorify God because it's quite clear that you are doing them because of God, because of who he is and what he is. But there are other non-direct ways as well that we can glorify him. And that's one of the main things that we're looking at in this course. As Christoph was saying last week, many of us in the church, particularly those who consider themselves evangelicals, can be under the impression that it's only when we do these overtly religious acts, such as praying, going to church, or most often when we tell people about the gospel. It's only, we think, when we do these things that we're glorifying God. And of course you are, but it's not the only way. Because we glorify him when we do or say or think anything because of him. So to make it really simple, right? You might love your next door neighbor in some way. I I don't know. Look after the dog when they're on holidays, right? Now on the face of it, looking after the neighbor's dog is not a spiritual act. It's not in any way related to God. But actually, it is. Because you did that deed because of God. You know that he commands us to be good neighbors. You know that he loves us, and so you want to love others. You have been changed by his love into a more loving person, and so you love others. And you have the basic abilities you needed to look after the dog because they were given to you by God. So basically, and practically, every which way you skin it, there is something that ties the act that you have just done to who or what God is. And so he is glorified. Something about him is revealed. And by the way, right, it's, uh, it's not always obvious to people who you acted upon that God has been glorified. And sometimes it's not always obvious to ourselves that we're glorifying God. But God tells us in the Bible that a day will come when all the secrets of man will be revealed. And on that day, the true motivations of everybody for everything that they have ever done will be laid bare. And we will see whether we acted out of glory for ourselves or for God. So, working it back then, any action or thoughts or words that bring glory to God can be rightly considered fruit in our lives. And to be fruitful then is to see more and more and better and better actions, thoughts or words in our life that bring glory to God. So any place that we interact with people who are not Christians or they're the children in our church, and we do or say or think something that brings glory to God in those interactions, that, my friends, brothers and sisters, that is fruitfulness on our front lines. And it's good stuff. And our aim, then, today anyway, is to break down one of the ways in which we can do that. And today we want to look at modeling godly character. Character. No, character is not the same as personality. The difference between the two mightn't seem apparent straight away, but personality is largely innate. You know you're you're born with it, right? So some people are funnier than others. Some people are are introverts. 
Some are extroverts. Right? So these things are usually something that make up who we are from the day we were born and stick with us through life. I, mean, it's not, I, don't, I don't know if it's hard and fast like that, but that's what I'm going with anyway. Character, however, you're not born with that. It's got to be developed. And also, personality traits, they don't have any value attached to them. It's neither good nor bad to be extroverted, but there's a value attached to being kind, to being loving, to being gentle. God puts weight on whether or not you're a loving person. God does not say it's immoral if you can make people laugh, or you can't. And we see the same thing in the Bible, right? We're never really taught, for instance, if Jesus and any of the apostles were funny. Now, you know, they were basically went on a road trip for three years. I'm sure they had a lot of crack, but, you know, we're not told. We don't know which of the apostles were extroverted or introverted. I mean, you could make an educated guess, but we're not told. But we do know that Barnabas made it his business to encourage people. We know that Paul was perseverant, mostly. He says in Corinthians that there was times where he despaired even of life. But for the most part, that man kept going through some severe beatings, through being arrested, through being bitten by a snake, through being shipwrecked. He kept going. That's perseverant. But we don't know if he was charming or clumsy. The point is, whilst we never hear about the personality traits of the people in the New Testament, God is clearly interested in our character. And the list of the fruits of the Spirit that we heard earlier is well known. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But Jesus also said... Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Paul tells us in Colossians that we should clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. James talks of people who are peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And Peter says we should be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And he also says that we should make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So, God has an interest in our character. He wants us to be people who are known for all of these things that I just listed. And the good news is, brothers and sisters, that through faith in him and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will, we will indeed develop characteristics like that list I just called out. That's a promise. God is glorified on your front line when people around you know that no matter what everyone else thinks of her, you will still be kind to her. God is glorified on your front line no no matter what is said, what crazy comment is thrown your way, people will know that you won't fly off the handle, but instead you'll be considerate, you'll be calm. God will be glorified in many ways 
when our good characteristics are seen by the people on our front lines. And sometimes, you know, it, it, it can take years, actually, before someone can see that you actually are a kind or a good person. But eventually they will. But it doesn't matter if it's seen or not. If it doesn't matter if it's recognized by others or not. Your displays of godly characteristics on your front lines bring glory to God. That's the basic point of my sermon today. Nonetheless, that list is daunting, isn't it? I wonder how you felt as I read it out. To model godly character in our lives is effectively, effectively to say that we're called to be Christ-like. And who amongst us has reached that? And remember as well that when Paul, Peter, and James were writing, they were writing to people who were in some very, very different and difficult circumstances to ours. They had a life presented to them that was much shorter and much harder. Now, the reality is we are all works in progress. But sometimes we reckon we're doing a lot worse than we think we are. There's one story from, um, from the book that this series we're, we're, we're following is based on that stuck with me, and I'll tell you it. It's about this lady. Uh, she worked for this real horrible piece of work fella, you know. And uh, she was his assistant, I think, for three years. Three years of hating going into work. Three years of often hating herself. Three years of wondering if she could go another day with this belittling, manipulative, angry man. And eventually, she gave up. She felt like a failure. She thought as a Christian, she, could, she should have, or she could have stuck it out. She should have been more patient. She should have forgiven him. Be kind under the pressure that he was putting under. Her under, sorry. But she just had enough, and she left. And a couple of weeks later... She gets a, a phone call from her replacement who said something to the effect of, I just can't do it. He's impossible. I need some help. My friends told me that I got to call you and ring you because they said that you've always been gracious to him despite the way he is. How did you do it? So you see, she thought that she'd failed. And often we feel too that we failed as well, right? But the reality can be different. I've been struck a good few times in my own life how I think I'm objective about my own performance. But then someone will tell me something that I've never seen or that I've never granted has been reality. And some of you, I know, even despite that, you'll be thinking, "Ah, yes, but Richie, you don't know my situation. Um, Kindness isn't common to me in spades right now. All right, okay. But remember two things. Firstly, as we've just learned that story, perhaps you're not seeing it as it really is. I would counsel anyone who's struggling to follow Christ and thinks that they're a complete failure in any one of these characteristics to ask for a second opinion. Ask the people in your, your discipleship group or someone that you trust, is this an accurate portrayal of who I am? And secondly, and more importantly, I suppose, remember our memory verse from a long time ago? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Second Corinthians 5.17 We are, you are, a new creation. 
You're capable of new things. That's always true. Even now, many years after you have become a new creation, the Spirit of God is alive in you. Ask him for help. So, as we seek to model godly character, we don't do it in our own strength. We go to the Holy Spirit. Yes, the call placed upon us can be daunting and feels impossible at times, and we often fail. But the answer isn't to just grit your teeth and get on with it. It's not grit, it's grace. That's what gets us through life. The answer is to go to God with our weaknesses and our failures and our sins and ask him to send his spirit to help us to love that lad who was always mean to us or to be patient when we want to lash out or to stay when we want to leave or to do whatever it is we know that we're supposed to do or say. We've got to go to God. That's the answer. And with time, you will see that the years will give you a new you. And an old, the old one will go. Sometimes I reckon we give up too easily because we don't get the, the change straight away. I've seen that in myself. And it's okay, I think, to enjoy, it is okay, to enjoy the work of God in your own life. And that, that does sound self-congratulating or, or maybe smug, but you've you got to see that in these divorces from today, it doesn't say that the fruit of the Spirit is doing loving things. It's not doing kind things or gentle things. No, the fruit of the Spirit is the living presence of those qualities in us. The Spirit forms these things in us. And we can enjoy that without being smug or self-congratulatory because it's not us that did it. It was him. He gave us the new life. He gave us the power to change. He gave us the commands to follow and the power to follow them. Now, of course, do, do we play a part in all of this? Yes, we do. Or part twofold. We need to have faith in the promises of God, promises such as that He will give us His Spirit to do what we need to do, for example. And secondly, and Paul talks about this in our passage, we need to put to death the characteristics that are bad. Paul's list is, is good, you know, it covers a large swathe of life. He says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, or orgies, and the like, he says. Now, I'm going to assume, right, that a few of them are in commonplace here in Kirkpatrick. Well, maybe, who knows, like. But I'm sure that some of them are very common. The old books talk about mortifying the flesh or killing the sinful deeds. And I'm not going to say, you know, actually I haven't given a, an almighty amount of thought to this concept. I wish I had. I'm not going to say much about it here today, but I'll say this. Putting these things to death is not a pain-free process, nor is there any shortcuts to be had. Getting married will not cure your lust. Finding a less stressful job will not cure your lack of patience or your anger. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that there's a good chance that the sins that your particular environment are making you see is the work of the Lord to make you face up to them and repent. Now look, I don't know your situation. I want to be careful here, right? There's many, many situations that are not healthy for you 
and you shouldn't be in them. I don't know your story. I'm just saying that don't mistake your pressure points on your front lines as a reason for you not to be there. What kind of people, ask you this, what kind of people upset you? What kind of situations bring out the worst in you? Perhaps it's wise to avoid them. But it might also be the case that you are there where you are in that hard situation because God has plans to develop your character even more so that you will glorify God even more. I want to finish off with a story. This isn't a good story. (laughs) I want to finish off with a story that exemplifies, I think exemplifies some of this, or a lot of this. I uh, I was fired from my job about four years ago. I was messing around at work, and although I wasn't intentional, my messing around when I, when I, when I was messing around, and I should have been more professional, resulted in someone getting really hurt, fairly badly hurt, and they fired me. And immediately after it, it happened, a lot of people who worked with me came to my defense, and uh, they said this was an accident, which it was. This isn't representative of Richie. This isn't who we know him to be. He's a good guy. So clearly, they had seen some of the godly characteristics that God had formed in me, and they were reflecting that back. Praise God. And even more so, um, there was one moment that I'll never forget where I was being interviewed by, um, about the incident by HR, and my boss was there. And I went into that interview saying to myself, I'm just going to be totally honest. I'm not going to present the truth with any varnish or spin. I'm just going to say it like it is. And I did. I told the truth. I refused to try and point the finger of blame at others, which some of my friends have been trying to encourage me to do. And <clears throat> I just went in. I said, this is my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it happened. And I'll never forget the look in my boss's face, which I now know was two things. On one hand, she was like, this guy is really hanging himself out to dry here. But I also know that she respected me because I was telling the truth. And that was a hard interview, but I left there feeling like I did the right thing. So anyway, it was good, you know. Now look, I had a lot to learn. What happened and the result of it and how I was treated, it was good. But a few weeks later, I got a letter saying that they were going to fire me. And I could have walked away. I should have walked away. I could have said, it was nice working with you. I had a great seven years. I'm sorry it ended like this. I'm sorry again for what happened. But I didn't. I fought it. I don't. I can't. I still don't actually know what was going on. But well, I do. But I wasn't conscious of it. I got a solicitor. I asked, as was my right, for a rehearing, and I took my solicitor in with me. And in the end, they actually agreed to back pay me uh, right up to the date that I was going to leave anyway. This was all happened when I was applying to be a minister, and I knew that I was going to be leaving the job. So, so they paid me, and they said that my record would have no mention of what happened. Um, in fact, they would leave me with a, a commendation on my record. 
But they also included a line in the letter that said, in our opinion, we, were, we still made a good decision and you should have been fired. And that really bugged me. Because that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted them to say that actually my seven years of good service was enough. And you know, in the days after I got the letter, from, I, I realized that I had, I had all full support from my colleagues about the kind of person that I was and the point of person they saw me, but my mask had slipped a little. Because when they fired me, it wasn't enough that my colleagues loved me. I wanted to be loved by the company as well. I wanted the management to say, this is a good guy. But the thing is, they were right to fire me. And I actually saw my boss sometime later, and uh, she barely spoke to me. She didn't have the same level of respect for me anymore. Because whereas once she had saw me being humble and honest and vulnerable, she also saw that I was quite a proud person too. And really, I suppose the, my point, if it's not obvious, is that our front lines are places where our character will bring glory to Jesus, for sure. But they'll also be the place where that same character is tested and molded. And I needed to have a few corners knocked off me. And look, you know, I, like... My, my pride was exposed. The main lesson I learned is that there's places and times not to be acting the gig. I hurt someone because of that. So after that testing and after that molding, we can go on and glorify God more. And really, that's it. Let me just restate my point here, our point. All of us have front lines. Not all of us are gifted at evangelism. And though you should be ready to explain yourself, if asked, what's the source of your joy? But not all of us are gifted at evangelism. All of us, though, can glorify God through our character. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, send your Holy Spirit before us every day into every room that we go, into every conversation we have, and use these times to make us better people because of Jesus and for Jesus. May you be glorified in everything we do. And when you are not, change us, mold us, and help us to kill off that which you don't want in our lives. Amen.